Welcome to the show. I'm Brad Johnson, and this is the Do Business, Do Life podcast. I believe in the and approach to life and business instead of the either or. This show is my attempt to help financial advisors create unlimited growth and freedom in their life and their business through wide-ranging conversations with some of the most brilliant and interesting people on the planet. We refer to this mission as DBDL, doing business and doing life. What up, DBDL fam? Kristen here. And today, Brad's going to be talking with his good friend and incredibly inspiring human being, Hal Elrod. Hal is the author of one of the highest rated books in the world, The Miracle Morning, which has sold over 2 million copies. Okay. It's been translated into 37 different languages and is practiced daily by people in over 100 countries. And Hal's life is literally nothing short of miraculous. One, at the age of 20, he was hit by a drunk driver, died for six minutes, and was told that he'd never walk again. Two, at 28, he lost over half of his income, racked up $52,000 in credit card debt, and had his home foreclosed on by the bank. And at 37, three, he was diagnosed with a rare aggressive form of cancer and was given a 30% chance of surviving. And every single thing that life has thrown at how he has overcome unbelievable odds. And in this episode, you're going to learn some of the personal development systems and frameworks that he's used to achieve the business and life of his dreams. Before we get to the show, we've got a special gift for DBDL listeners. We bunch of copies of Hal's best-selling book, The Miracle Morning, the updated and expanded version, okay, the not-so-obvious secret guarantees to transform your life before 8 a.m., and we're going to be giving them all away until they're all gone. So what to do next? If you want your free copy, first, you're going to text the number 53 to the DBDL Insider phone number. It's in the show notes, but I'm going to give it to you now. That's 785-800-3235. We're going to shoot you a text back asking you to leave an honest rating and review of the show. And once you've done that, we'll grab your mailing address, ship you a copy of the book. That's it. You can opt out of receiving text messages at any time by applying stop to any message you receive. Also, quick apology to our international listeners outside of the U.S. Shipping prices are crazy high. We can only ship these domestically. So please support Hal and just go grab a copy at your local bookstore or on Amazon if you are outside of the U.S. If you'd like the show notes to this episode, including links to all the resources, books mentioned, and people discussed, you can grab those at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash 53. So as always, thank you for listening. Without further delay, today's conversation with Brad and Hal Elrod. Welcome back to another episode of Do Business, Do Life. I promise, just buckle up right now. This is going to be a fun one. Hal Elrod, welcome to the show. Brad, man, it is good to see you. And it's like we see each other, whether it's at Front Row Dads events we were just talking about. You and I were in family brand, right? So uh, I see you in in a lot of different contexts and all of them are growth oriented, including this one. Yeah, it's cool. Like as you get older, you you have these circles of people and friends and people you admire that are doing big things and they just all tend to crisscross and family brand was the last one. You, your Mm -hmm. wife, Ursula, Sarah, and myself, we're going through that with Chris and Melissa Smith, who are just doing some incredible work there. And actually, it's funny. Uh, well, I don't have my phone on me, but yeah. I've got the uh, the Johnson Family Values is my screensaver on my phone. Just ah, to keep them I in front it. of me and commit those to memory and live them. So how, nice. let's just kick it off there, because I know you and Ursula did that work with your family. How is the family brand stuff going for you guys? Have, have you started to integrate that into some of the stuff you're doing as a family yet? Yeah. So we developed our family values and then we were going to do them like once a week at the family meeting. And I write in my books about affirmations and they've got to be done really daily to be really effective. You know, once a week, you're going to, it's like, you're going to forget by the time you get to the next week, you go, Oh yeah, I should have lived that the last six days. So for me, I decided to make our family values something that we read every night at dinner. And, uh, and that way it was a daily affirmation. And so, yeah, that's been really, really powerful for us and seeing the, the kids start to actually live into those values, which is cool. Awesome. We were talking before we hit record here. Our kids are about the same age. So I've got 13, 12, and 8, and you have 14, 14 and 11. And 11. Yep. We were talking about this natural resistance that those watching or listening in that have teenagers will understand. There's a, kind of this like starting to challenge authority stage, you know, as you hit those teenage years. I know I went through it. I'm sure you did yeah. too. How has that been received from the kids as far as, oh, dad, another one of these? Do you ever get that? Or how do you, how do you kind yeah. of frame that so you're like pouring into them without and like getting through that resistance? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I get that a lot. It's like I used to go snuggle with my daughter when she was up until probably 11, maybe, you know, mm-hmm. and at 14, she's like, dad, get out of my room. And what do you get out of my bed? I don't want you in my bed, you mm-hmm. know? And so dad's not quite as cool and it's, it's more challenging to connect. What I found and what I mentioned to you is, What's been really effective is is partnering with fellow like-minded dads 
who have kids that are either friends with my daughter or could become friends with my daughter. There's two in mind, you know, that in the last weekend, we went on a double daddy daughter date or actually he has a son, John Vroman, founder of Front Row Dads. He brought his son. Mm -hmm. I brought my daughter. We went and raced cars indoors and then went out to lunch together. The dynamic of that, it's like the one-on-one time, you know, she's not as interested. She wants friends, right? She's like, dad, why would I want to go bowling with you? Right? Like I want to go hang out with my friends. And so while that breaks my heart, I also have to navigate her reality and her feelings and meet her where she is. And so when I combine the friend with me and the dad, now, not only is she having a great time with her friend, I'm creating that container. So she associates that with dad and go, dad, thanks so much for setting this up. This is awesome. And one thing that I realized until last weekend is she sees me not as dad. Now I'm, I'm a buddy to another buddy. So I'm interacting yes. with her friend's dad. And she's like, whoa, my dad's like cool and funny and lets his hair down. And so, yeah, man, so that's been one of the, and I have another dad this weekend with a different friend. And so that to me has been the most effective way to, to parent teenagers is to co-parent them with their friends, parents and getting on the same page and doing fun activities together. I love that. I know Jim Shields is a mutual friend, the kind of the family board meeting concept that we're kind of talking about here. But this is the first time, like we were talking about this before we hit record. You're like, you're kind of just combining a family board meeting with another dad doing another Mm -hmm. family board meeting. And now you're the cool dad to the other kid. And, yeah. you know, I'm sure like John Broman's the cool dad to your daughter. And I, I love that concept. So I'm going to definitely borrow that one. So thanks yeah. for sharing that. Yeah, that's um, well, yeah, really, really been effective. I want to dive in our time short here. Yeah. We did a couple interviews on the old show, the Elite Advisor Blueprint. This is obviously the new show, Do Business, Do Life. But your whole concept of the Miracle Morning really impacted me. I read that, you know, it's been almost a decade ago now. And I know you've impacted a massive community all around the world at this point because you're published. I mean, the book's published in how many different languages now? I, yeah, 37 I can, or 41. I, I don't know the exact number, but it's around 40-ish. <laughs> that is awesome. And so for those unfamiliar, because I want to get to the new updated re-released version 11 years later, but if somebody has never heard of The Miracle Morning and kind of you creating that out of your own personal need to create it. Can you share the short version and then we'll get to the new updated expanded version? Yeah. So, I mean, the short version is how I created it. I was in a really bad spot in my life in 2008 when the U.S. economy crashed. I kind of crashed with it and my house was foreclosed on by the bank. I was living on credit cards. I lost over half my income and then my health declined. I mean, it was a spiraling, you know, downward spiral. And I just, one day I'm like, I'm desperate. Like I need to turn my life around. What am I going to do? And I heard this Jim Rohn quote. Jim Rohn said, your level of success will seldom exceed your level of personal development. And for whatever reason, you may have heard that quote before. I might've heard it before, but it hit me in a different way where I quantified it. And I went, if my level of success in every area of my life, my health, my happiness, my marriage, my relate, my finances, you name it, won't exceed my level of personal development, then that begs the question, what level of success do I want on a scale of one to 10? And of course, it's a 10. Nobody doesn't want to be as happy as they can be or as healthy or financially secure. We all have this innate drive and desire to achieve the pinnacle, the the happiest, healthiest life we can have. So then the question that I really had to be honest with myself is what's my level of personal development? If you're listening to that, I would define that as what are your daily personal development ritual or rituals that enable you to become a better version of yourself? who is capable of creating that success that you want in every area of your life. And so I realized that I wasn't like a two or three. I didn't have like a really dialed in, really effective daily personal development ritual. And so I decided I would create the ultimate daily ritual. It involved meditation, affirmations, visualization, exercise, reading, journaling, six of the most timeless personal development practices of all time. And instead of just picking one of these life-changing practices, my theory was, If I did all six of these, first thing in the morning, even though I'm not a morning person, I started my day with these and it didn't have to take long. Some days were six minutes where I would do one minute each if I was pressed for time. Average was about 30 minutes. But within two months of doing this practice, I more than doubled my income. I went from being in the worst shape of my life physically to committing to run a 52 mile ultra marathon because I hated running. And I thought, what better way to evolve as a human than commit to run 52 miles and then figure out how to do it. And my life changed so fast. I went to my wife and I said, sweetheart, it feels like a miracle. Ever since this morning routine, we've doubled our income. I'm running. I never thought I'd be a runner. And she goes, it's your miracle morning without skipping a beat. And I go, I like that miracle morning. 
And then keep a long story short, I decided to, I was like, I should share this with others. It's changing my life. I had shared with my coaching clients. It was changing their life. And within, uh, I wrote this book, self-published it. That was 11 years ago. And I just committed, I'm going to share this with millions of people. I don't know how, I don't know. I was an unknown author, but I just continued to share it. And now what are we, a little over 11 years after the original book published, sold over 2 million copies, translated, you mentioned in 40 languages, and it's in over 100 countries. I don't know the exact number. You can't track how many, but probably a million people are doing the Miracle Morning every day. And so last thing I'll say is, you and I were talking before we started the recording, after 11 years, I finally rewrote the original book and added 70 pages of new content. So December of this last year, the Miracle Morning updated and expanded edition was released. And it became a USA Today bestseller. And I guess the best thing to say is, if you go read the reviews on Amazon, a lot of them are like, hey, I read the original Miracle Morning book three years ago, eight years ago, five years ago. It changed my life. And this new version reignited the fire. It's even better. There's more content on and on and on. And, and we have a Miracle Morning movie, an app. Like That's where we're at today is this Miracle Morning ritual. Really, if you're a morning person or not, it is designed to help anyone take themselves to the level they need to be to take their success in every area to the level that they want it to be. That's cool. Well, there's a lot of places I could go from here. But the first thing I just thought of, it was literally just a few episodes ago, a guy named Wally that's a mortgage broker in I Texas. Know who I, I Yes. Yeah. So he literally, two, three episodes ago, commented on the Miracle Morning and how when he found that book and connected with you, I think he went to one of your live events. And he said, literally, that changed his life. And the guy wow. like has an amazing track record of success that involves reading and mantras and a lot of what you're just talking about. So this stuff really does work. I would say I haven't been a religious disciple of the Miracle Morning, but just if you could real quick, SAVERS, I think is yeah. the acronym that kind of runs through. Yeah. And I didn't say this before, but we're going to buy a box of the new updated, expanded, and we're going to give those away to listeners. So Thank Love you. to help you spread the word. So those that are like, what is this thing? Listen to the intro. We'll have the details in there, but we'll give away a box until they're all gone of the new book. And awesome, selfishly, man. I'm going to save one for myself because I want to <laughs> hear the new stuff. So, But what is Savers, if you can get through yeah. that real quick? Yeah, I mentioned that the Miracle Morning was made up of six practices. And when I was writing the book, I realized I needed a way to organize these in a way that was memorable. And so what emerged was this acronym SAVERS. And I called, the, I called these originally the life savers because I'm like, these saved my life. Like I was on a decline. I was a mess. And, and they have now for, you know, for millions of people. But the, S is, the first S is for silence. So the first practice of the Miracle Morning is silence. It's your meditation and or your prayer time. It's getting centered. It's listening for that wisdom that we only hear in periods of peaceful, purposeful silence. We don't get it when we're checking our email and scrolling our phone. It's in the shower. It's falling asleep at night. And so this is engineering your day so that your day starts with that purposeful silence so you have space to get that clarity that will transform your life, right? That's when our best ideas come where we make breakthroughs. The A is for affirmations. And I think affirmations are the most misunderstood yet most effective form of personal development because we've been taught these cheesy, like if you're struggling financially, just say, I am wealthy. I am wealthy, right? Like the truth will always prevail. Or we're taught like, I'm a money magnet, like this goofy, flowery affirmation. The way that I teach it in the book is step one, affirm what you're committed to. Like I am committed to doubling my income this year. I'm committed to transforming my marriage. I'm committed to losing 20 pounds. In life, we don't get what we want. We get what we're committed to. Step two is affirming why it's a must for you. And for me, that's usually like two, three, four, five bullet points of I'm doing this for me because of this reason. I'm doing it. This will benefit my wife in this way. It'll benefit my kids in this way, right? So getting really clear on what are the whys that are so meaningful and important to you that when you are reminded of those, you're like, it doesn't matter if I don't feel like it. I'm committed because these are such important benefits and reasons why. And then step three in the affirmations is with which actions will you take and win? Just get really clear, affirm, okay, in order to follow through that commitment, here's what I'm going to do on these days at these times to ensure that I make progress to the end. The V is for visualization. The world's greatest athletes visualize, and we should mentally rehearse showing up at our best before we actually have to show up. In the same way an athlete visualizes performing at their best before they step onto the court or the field so that when they do, it's like, Oh, this isn't scary. I was here this morning. 
And I use that in my marriage. Like, Brad, if you go to bed and you have a fight with your spouse, right? I know the rule is, no, you never go to bed angry. Sometimes it happens, right? So here's what ends up happening is when my wife wakes up, she might still be angry because she just woke up and the last thought she had was, oh, my husband was a jerk last night. I've already applied my visualization to mentally rehearsing, seeing her that morning in a state of empathy and love and forgiveness. So when she, when I go in there, I'm like, Hey, sweetie, good morning. And she like scowls at me and I'm like, Oh, you didn't do your miracle morning. That's why you're still in a bad mood. I'm fine. I worked through this like 30 minutes ago. So that's how visualization in a practical sense. And we can apply it to every area of life. The Ian Sabres is for exercise. No rocket science here. You don't have to go to the gym. This is about getting the blood and oxygen flowing to your brain and waking up your nervous system. So you have heightened mental clarity. And that can be done in as little as 60 seconds of moving your body. 60 seconds of jumping jacks. You're breathing deeper, right? And now you're awake and you're alert and you're going to get more done to be more effective throughout the day. The R in Sabres is for reading. And I always say we're one book away from transforming any area of our life, right? It just takes one idea to transform your life. You want to transform your marriage? You got a, a variety of books to choose from. You want to transform your mornings, of course. You got the Miracle Morning. You got 5 a.m. Club, right? Any area of life you want to transform, there's a book for that. And the final S in Sabres is for scribing, which is a fancy word for writing or journaling. And essentially, there's magic that happens. The clarity you get when you get out of your head and you put it on paper. And one of my favorite things to journal, in fact, it's the first thing I, I journal. I talk about in the new book, like I give my steps of how I do my scribing. Step one is, is there any inner turmoil that I'm experiencing that I need to resolve? And I'll use my hand on my heart. I'll get quiet. I'll close my eyes and I'll go, oh yeah, man, I'm really afraid of the economy. Or I'm really, I'm upset at that thing that happened yesterday or right, like I, whatever it is. And then once I write it down, Brad, it's amazing how the, just, just the act of writing it down. Now it's like you've given yourself permission to let it stop weighing on your subconscious mind because it's on paper now. And if you want to read it and look at it and think about it and work on it, cool. But it's there. It's, it's like you put it away in a safe and you can revisit it whenever you want, but you no longer have to harbor it. You don't have to think. It's like it creates that separation. And the last thing I'll say that. to tie yeah. a bow on all of this is Robert Kiyosaki, author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I spoke at an event that Robert was the headliner for. I was his warm-up act. And I got to meet him after the event. This was years ago. And I gave him a copy of The Miracle Morning thinking he's never going to read it. Guy's worth like $80 million. And three weeks later, I got an email from his assistant. And she said, Robert has read The Miracle Morning three times in the last three weeks. And like my jaw dropped right there. I was like, what? He's read my book three. Okay, okay. And he wants to have you on Rich Dad Radio. The book is changing. Not the book. The practice is changing his life. And so I went on Witch Dad Radio, and at the end of the interview, he said something that I will never forget because he summed it up, the the savers, better than I ever had. He said, Hal, any one of the savers is a life-changing practice. He said, but I think you named the book correctly, The Miracle Morning, because he said, my experience has been when I do all six of these ancient best practices every day, it's creating miracles in my life. He said, it's transforming my marriage, my health, my hap, everything. And he said, it is a miracle morning. And so I just, I think that's a great way to sum it up. Like any one of the savers will change your life. But when you do all six in a succinct 30 minute ritual every morning, it changes your life in ways so profoundly that, you know, you ever could have predicted it. I love that. And I've got many friends, many very successful friends that live by the miracle morning. So one thing that I often hear, because anybody that's heard like those savers, I think it's impossible to argue like, I would be in a better space if I did that more frequently in the mornings. But then you hear, and you already kind of nailed it in the affirmation piece. Oh, but I'm just not a morning person. That's like the standard objection is, yeah, that sounds great. I'm just not a morning person. What's crazy is that's an affirmation right there, kind of reaffirming. And so what do you say to people? Because I know when you, you laid it out in the book, the first time I read it, of like how to hack the, I'm not a morning person. What would you share with people telling themselves that right now? The first thing I would say is that's a total normal response. And here's, I'm actually, I don't always talk about this, but I think this is really worth understanding or worth considering. If you think about it, the reason that most people are not morning people is because of how we were conditioned growing up. We were forced to wake up at times that we as children did not want to wake up. 
you're in the top 1% of kids. If you're like, I jumped out of bed every morning before my parents came in to wake me up. Like, all right, weirdo. But if you're like 99% of humans, it was like, hey, time for school. No, mom, I don't want to get out of bed. And whenever we were given the opportunity to keep sleeping, that was our choice. Then we turn 18 and you go off to college. I would sleep till I would set up my classes every day so that I could sleep in. Like I was not a morning person at all. So if you're conditioned as a child while your brain is developing to be forced to do something that you don't want to do, then you naturally develop a deep resentment and resistance for the act of waking up when you don't have to wake up. And so that's why I believe most are morning people. Now, when I wrote The Miracle Morning, the original edition, and I think it's even better with the new edition because I was thinking the same thing. How am I going to not just convince somebody to beat the snooze button, right, and wake up before they have to, but, and I think you said it, like, is how do I make it really easy for them to do it? It's one thing to be convinced, like, yeah, I should do that. I should eat healthier, but... I don't have a habit of eating healthier. I should wake up earlier. So there's a chapter in the book called the five-step snooze-proof wake-up strategy that walks you through what to do the night before, what to do with the affirmations before bed, how to set your alarm. Like There's all these really simple steps that make waking up easier than ever. And the last thing I'll say on this, Brad, is I was once asked during an interview how what percentage of Miracle Morning practitioners were already consider themselves morning people. So this was easy for them. They're like, oh, cool. Instead of like getting on email first thing in the morning, I'll do the savers. And they said, but what percentage were like, I'm not a morning person. I don't want, I can't be one. I've never, I've tried, it didn't work, you know, and I didn't know the answer. And so we've surveyed hundreds of thousands of people, probably over a million people now in the last five years. And it kind of pleasantly surprised. 72% say they never thought they could be a morning person before they read the miracle morning. And now 70, those people became morning people after reading the book. So only 28% were like, yeah, I was already a morning person. No, the majority of people, this book has transformed their life were those that said, mm. I, I'm not a morning person. And I don't know if we could be, I could become one. I love that. Al. I'm glad you hit that. I remember one thing in the first book, which I'm excited to read the new version. You basically said, it's not that you're getting up early. It's like most humans need seven to eight hours of sleep. So you just need to retrofit the sleep to match when you want to get up. So it does take discipline, right? It does take like not stay up till midnight scrolling on your phone or whatever. But that's the thing I've told a lot of people. I'm like, it's not that you're not a morning person. It's just you don't get enough sleep person. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So I love love how you do that. And then I don't, it'd be interesting if this mantra made it into the new one. It's one that's personally worked for me. I think... Setting the alarm clock across the room so it's not easy to hit snooze, all that. People have heard that before. But you had a mantra in the first book that said, like, in that moment, right, when you hear the alarm and you're like, oh, I could just go back to sleep. I believe it was, am I going to do what's easy or am I going to do what's right? And I have in those moments, literally when I'm like, okay, I want to I go back to bed here. I just tell myself, am I going to do what's easy or I'm going to do what's right? No, I'm going to do what's right. I'm getting up. And then, you know, splash a little water in your face. You're good to go from that point. It's just that really small moment of, yep. do I go right or left? Did you update that mantra at all, or did that make it into the no, new book? So I'll tell you what the mantra is, but I actually like the way that you framed it as a question, because that is interesting. Like, mm-hmm. you're asking yourself, and now you have to answer it. The mantra mm-hmm. is, do the right thing, not the easy thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so and I, oh, I learned okay, that okay. when yeah. I was, like, 19. And, and the way that it was taught to me is my, my mentor at the time said, I was in sales, and he said, The secret to success is really, really, really simple. Every moment of your day, you've got a choice, right? When you're ordering from a menu or choosing where you're going to eat, it's like, should I do the right thing, which is eat the food that fuels my body and helps me have more energy and longevity, or the easy thing, which is like, "Mm, that that pizza looks really good, right? Mm -hmm. And so that was it. He's like, if you can develop a guidance system where you do the right thing as opposed to the easy thing, he said, number one, you'll be successful. But number two is at first, it'll be tough but it'll become who you are and it'll become easy and second nature. And that for me, is it like, for me, it's like, I've been doing that for, I mean, I learned that 24 years ago, 25 years ago. So it's like, for me, it's, you know, and I'm not perfect. I mean, I, you know, occasionally I'm like, ah, I'm going to do the easy thing. I don't care. Screw it. You know, yeah. but it's rare. It's, it's much more often than not because that just became, it's like such a big part of me that I'm like, damn it. I want to do the easy thing, but that's not who I am. I'm someone that does yeah. the right thing, not the easy thing, you know? 
I love that. It's crazy how those little simple mental models and hacks totally. can make such a massive difference. So totally. thanks for going yep. back through that. Okay. Before we get, because I want to save a little time here at the end to get into the couple new chapters we hit and the new and expanded, but yep. selfishly, I want to hear about them, but you have one other little mental model hack that I heard when you spoke live one time. And I just saw the whole room when you shared this, like, oh, wow, that's, that's a game changer right there. I believe you call it the five minute rule. Can you yep. share that? Yeah, so it's called the five-minute rule, and then there's also the can't-change-it mantra that kind of piggybacks on it. And first, let me explain what this is for, right? Like setting the stage here. Human beings, we experience emotional pain, right? Whether it's the form of anger or upset or sad or scared or frustrated or whatever. We experience emotional turmoil that that can either make us just unhappy and not enjoy life, or it just it throws us off and we're not able to be at our best. And so when I was in sales, my mentor taught us that it was like day two of training. I was at Cutco Cutlery. I was 19. And he said, and it's to this day, this is maybe the most valuable lesson I've ever learned. So I appreciate you asking about it. But he said, sales is a microcosm for life's adversity at an accelerated rate. Meaning the average person faces rejection occasionally. The salesperson faces it multiple times a day. He said the average person fails occasionally, like maybe once a year they fail to reach a goal. The salesperson fails regularly all the time. You know, you fail, you don't hear goal for the day, you don't hear quota for the week, for the month, for the quarter, right? He said, so you need a strategy to quickly move through the emotional turmoil, the icky feelings that cause you to doubt yourself or want to quit sales because you're like, I hate the way it feels. I got rejected six times today. I hate this. I don't want to do it anymore. He said, you need a, he called a mental model, right? Or a strategy mm -hmm. to move through it. And so he taught us the five minute rule. And he said, as anytime you experience a setback, rejection, failure, disappointment, he said, set your timer on your phone for five minutes and literally give yourself five minutes to fully experience and express the emotions that are coming up for you. He said, we often suppress them because you're like, I don't have time for that. I'm just going to, I, I got to get on the phone or I don't want to look weak in front of my peers. So I'm just going to act like it's no big deal. Right. Mm -hmm. And he said, that's not healthy, right? That shit comes out sideways, pardon my French. But he said, yeah. give yourself five minutes to bitch, moan, complain, cry, vent, punch a wall, like whatever you got to do. Fully, this sucks. I can't believe that he did that to me. This is BS. I needed that goal, da, 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 whatever. And he said, get it out. And when the timer goes off after five minutes, you say three very powerful, liberating words, which are can't change it. And it's a simple acknowledgement that, okay, I can't change whatever happened five minutes ago. So right now I got a choice. I can continue to dwell on it, be upset about it, although that doesn't change it. So I'm not actually doing anything productive. I'm just causing myself, I'm perpetuating that inner turmoil. Or I can choose to accept what happened exactly as it is. I might not be happy about it, but, but the choice is about being at peace with it. I can't change it. So my only logical, intelligent option is to accept it and be at peace so that I can take a deep breath. Ah, oh, that sucks, but it's over. It's in the past. I can't change it. I didn't hit my goal. I lost some money, whatever. All I can do is focus on what's in my control now to move forward. And so I started applying it right away. I remember the first time I set the timer for five minutes and it went off and I was like, I'm still pissed. Like five minutes is not long enough, right? And I, I like snoozed a few times. But after a couple of weeks, Brad, here's what happens for people. Because if you're listening and you're like, I get this kind of, but I don't get how setting a timer and it going off is going to make me not upset. That, that was how I felt. Mm -hmm. Here's what happened. Those five minutes are an opportunity to elevate your consciousness. So you're now experiencing emotion, but you're aware that there's a countdown. You're aware that you're working on getting to a place of acceptance where you acknowledge that you can't change the thing that happened. So you're going to choose to be at peace. And the first few times it might take you 15 or 20 minutes to get there, but you do eventually get there, right? Because emotions are energy in your body and they do eventually die down. So it might take you a while. We're like five minutes, not enough time. Great. So 15, 20, but here's what happened. I remember it. It was like two weeks into my Cutco career and this woman called and canceled the biggest order I had ever had. And it made me, I was number one rep in the office. I was about to get recognized that week and I didn't hit my goal now. 
I wasn't going to get recognized. I wasn't number one. It was a huge loss. And I set my timer. It was nine o'clock at night that she called and canceled her order. And I remember I can picture my apartment. I set the timer and I'm like, ah, I can't believe she did this. Like, God, I needed that order. I was number one. Oh, what am I going to do? I mean, all I can do is get on the phone tomorrow and make more calls. And I like had this sense of like the emotion started to leave me. And I picked up my phone and there was four minutes and 32 seconds left on my timer. That was a life-changing moment, Brad, because I was like, wait a minute. If I'm going to get to the point where I say can't change it and I accept it, what's the point in feeling upset for the next four and a half minutes when I could just say can't change it now? And it was like this radical, like my brain was like, I'm like, is this okay? Should I stay upset? Like I was trying to like, and I was like, no, wait a minute. Not only is five minutes long enough, dude, I think I just need five seconds now. I just need to like, oh, let me scream or, or curse or whatever. And I'm going to then say, can't change it and move on. And I've since applied that to traffic. I'm like, I'm in traffic either way. Why get upset? I was diagnosed with cancer few years ago and given a 20% chance of living, I'm like, I can't change it. I might as well be at peace and focus on how I'm going to survive for my family. Like from the mundane, like traffic to losing a loved one to being told you're going to die. I've applied this strategy to choose to accept the things I can't change and be at peace with my reality exactly as it is. And there is a new chapter in the new book called The Miracle Life where I go really deep into unpacking this because I call this is the key to inner freedom where you can be completely free to choose the optimal state that would best serve you even in the midst of the most difficult time in your life. So that's the five minute rule. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And just if we clip that section and people take that idea and run with it, that is a life changer. It really Mm -hmm. is. And where my head went as you were walking through that, there's a level of stoicism in there of, Mm. and then I know like the serenity prayer that people practice in Alcoholics Anonymous, but it's basically like the only true thing you can control in your life are your actions. A lot of people, it's raining outside. It's the weather, something completely out of their control and it ruins their whole day. They're wasting all this energy against this immovable force. And I saw it happen. You mentioned your, your cancer scare. We literally were scheduled to record our first ever podcast. And it was right at that time you hit me up. You're like, dude, I'm so sorry, but like, I've got a massive health scare. And I I don't remember if you told me it was cancer right at that point or not, but I I found out later and we delayed our first interview for over a year as you were going through that. And as a friend that had connected with you at Front Row Dads, obviously wanted to support you. But what was so powerful for me as a human was seeing you weren't just a guy that talked about this stuff because unfortunately there are some authors and thought leaders or gurus or whatever you want to label them that it's kind of like, here's what happens on stage. And then here's like their real life and they're not really congruent. Yeah. And the powerful thing that I saw is I saw it probably the most difficult time in your life. You actually taking your work, applying it and how it impacted how you showed up for your family or your wife, your kids. And how you took a really horrible situation you wouldn't wish on anybody. And you actually like showed up like a leader in your home. So I don't know that I've ever shared that with you, but that personally impacted me because I saw you actually put your work into action. So I love that about you, man. I I love that you live it. I appreciate that very much. Well, let's go into, you kind of hit one of the chapters, which was the miracle life and the five minute rule. The other thing that's a new chapter that I want to make sure we dive into a little bit is the miracle evening, which we kind of touched on, like setting yourself up for success the next day. And I know there's a lot of studies that have come out here recently with just the power of how important sleep is in general, but give us the download on the miracle evening. Why does it matter? How do you do it? Yeah. So first of all, it's a book that I've been asked to write for years. Like, Hal, you wrote The Miracle Morning. Are you going to write The Miracle Evening? And I'm like, yeah, maybe someday. But I didn't have an evening routine for years. And so like people go, what's your evening routine? I was kind of embarrassed to be like, I just like kiss my kids goodnight and I go to bed. And, you know, like I don't I don't do much. I'm more, you know, and I used to even joke uh, miracle morning, mediocre evening. That was always my joke because my friends be like, dude, you always go to bed early and you never hang out with us at night. And I'm like, whatever. But where this was really born out of in 2020, I had been on chemotherapy for three years at that point. And 
it had taken a horrific toll. Now, my cancer is so aggressive and so fast acting that basically the protocol, the chemo protocol is a hundred times what some protocols are. Like I would get, instead of like one hour of chemo a week, I would get a hundred hours a month. And Mm. it was, they call it chemo brain, which is kind of, that phrase bothers me because it kind of dismisses like the poisoning that's being done to your brain and how I've talked to other cancer patients. There's books written on them. I mean, it messes you up, dude. Like I didn't recognize myself. I went from being one of the happiest, most at peace, grateful, even confident human beings to a mental wreck. And a part of it, I think where it really, it really happened was one night I like, I fell asleep and like three hours later, I woke up with like adrenaline or cortisol, something where I was just wired. I was like, what the heck happened? And then that went on for five or six months. So I averaged two to four hours of sleep per night for almost half of a year. And if you've ever slept two hours a night in one night, you're a wreck the next day. When you compound that over months and months, I was hallucinating. I thought people were trying to kill me. I developed extreme anxiety, extreme depression. I was suicidal. My guiding question most days was, how could I take my own life and not have it negatively affect my family? Is there a way? I've been told, you know, Tony Robbins taught me that the power of questions, I was literally like, there's got to be a way where I can end this pain and not have my family suffer. And thank God there was no way, right? There was no good answer to that question. I wrestled with it. I thought, what if I recorded a a video series of every lesson I want to teach my, you know, there was no answer, but I was in such a dark place that that's where my head was at. And so I was desperate, man. I was so desperate. And I started reaching out to sleep experts and reading everything that I could and trying to figure it out. And through supplementation, through my miracle morning, through an evening practice that I call the miracle evening, of course, in the new book, I was able to solve my sleep issues. And now I sleep like a baby seven hours a night, every night. And then I started asking during my speeches, I would say, hey, how many of you struggle with sleep, either falling or staying asleep? And it's like minimum 50% of the hands they go. Sometimes it's like 60 or 70. And I realized this is a huge issue, man. I've got to share what I learned. And so that's where the Miracle Evening came into play. And similar to the Sabres, there's an acronym in that chapter called Slumbers. And it's seven steps. And it walks you through like just mental shifts to supplementation, to some logistical actions, to bedtime affirmations, to you name it. And so, yeah, that's the miracle evening. And it worked for me. And I hope that whenever someone tells me they're not sleeping, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Like, I know what that like. I feel more pain over that than if someone says they have cancer, I think, because nothing there was no time in my life where I was at a lower point than when I wasn't sleeping well. Yeah. Well, on that note. I'm so glad you put the new chapter in the new book because being a guy that's coached entrepreneurs, essentially my whole career, independent financial advisors, one of the things I've learned the last three years on my own entrepreneurial journey here at Triad is, and I know you've got a lot of entrepreneurs in your audiences, which makes sense when everybody raises their hand having a tough time sleeping. Sure, I was the guy similar to you that my head hit the pillow. I'm out. Seven, eight hours, no problem. Not waking up in the middle of the night. And in these last three years, just the stress of leave something really certain to build something yeah. really uncertain, the stress of yeah. cash flow, the stress of team members, employees, and personnel conflict, and all the stuff ha- that happens in just real world when you're building a business. I would wake up at like two in the morning, one in the morning, just heart beating out of my chest. Yeah. Like I'd just run up a mile as fast as I could. And I know many entrepreneurs struggle with these anxiety issues, sleep issues. And so that has to be a huge thing. I'm assuming, I mean, the book's been out a little while. Have, do you have some entrepreneurs that have read that and like, dude, thank you so much. And is there one of those, maybe of those steps in the slumbers yeah. that like might help with that kind of anxiety that people carry with them sometimes into sleep that creates some of those sleep issues? Yeah. So the L, well, so I'll actually, I'll just, I'll go through with you. So the S is for stop eating three to four hours before bedtime. And the, what ends up happening, most people aren't, we're not taught this, but it takes three to four hours to fully digest a meal. It can be as little as two hours. if like, it's a small amount of fruit or something, but if you eat, you know, a meal, it's it's three to four hours. And so 
what happens is if you eat, and that's not even taken into consideration, I mean, the blood sugar spike, which is going to affect your sleep as well. But I think most of us know that. Like, if we go have a big dinner and we're like, oh my gosh, I'm so full, I'm ready for bed, that, you know, I ate fried food or a big steak or whatever, we almost all, you know, you wake up at two in the morning, right? Because your body is, you've taxed it with digesting food when it's supposed to be repairing and rejuvenating itself, right? And so eating late at night is a huge detriment to the quality of our sleep. So that's the number, that's the S. The L is probably the most important and it's, it's probably the hardest to grasp, which that's why in the book, I mean, it's walking you through it, but it's let go of stressful thoughts and emotions. And I think on the mm. surface, everybody's like, well, duh. Yeah. Easier said than done. Of course, I got to let go of stressful thoughts and emotions. But here's what I realized. And I would encourage anybody listening to just do the same evaluation. When your head hits the pillow at night, when you go to bed, are you thinking thoughts that support restfulness? that support feelings of bliss and calm and even gratitude? Or are you thinking about, is your mind racing with all the things that you didn't get done or you've got to do or the team members or the this or the conflict or the fight or that, right? And it's human nature at night to actually run through your day and think about the writing, go through all of that. And what I realized is that's not serving me, right? And let me say it in a different way. When it's bedtime, so not just when the head hits the pillow, but like, you know, like the 30 to 60 minutes before, we have one objective, and it is to prepare our mind and our emotional state for peaceful, restful sleep. That is our singular objective. There is none other. And if you can recognize that and go, okay, that makes sense. My only objective is to prepare myself for sleep. It's not to replay the events of the day. It's not to relive the emotions that were stressing me out earlier. It's not to worry about the things that are stressing me out for tomorrow. It's not to think about anything that's out of my control. And if you're laying down to the pillow, everything's out of your control because <laughs> you're not answering emails in that moment. You're not having the conversation in that moment. You're right. The only thing you are supposed to be doing is going to sleep, right? So I'm really belaboring this point because you really have to under, you, when you understand it, you're like, oh, okay, I can't argue that. So then it's okay. Well, how do I do that? Right. And, and what I talk about is it's a lot easier to replace thoughts with other thoughts than to completely eliminate thoughts. And anyone that's ever tried to meditate and you're new to it can attest yeah. to that. Like, okay, so what do I do? I clear my mind. I suck at this. I can't clear yeah. my mind, right? Um, but in the case of uh, when you lay down in bed, what I've done is I've, when I, oh, I'm thinking of this or that, I go, wait a minute, not serving me. And sometimes I'll do the, to I think it was Tony Robbins, said, cancel, cancel, right? Like just remind myself, stop. Or I think of the analogy of flipping the switch. And sometimes I'll even do that. I'll flip a switch up in my, like with my finger, an imaginary switch. I'll go, no, 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 I'm flipping the switch. And that means I'm only allowed to think of thoughts that make me feel good that make me feel happy, that make me feel loved, that make me feel safe. And I want to underline the word safe because that may be the single most important state for us to be in as we fall asleep. Because when you think stressful thoughts, your body goes into fight or flight and you do not feel safe. Even if you're thinking of your finances, you do not feel safe financially. If you're thinking of your spouse and an argument you had, you do not feel safe in your marriage, right? So it's actually safety is a, is a crucial piece. And so a lot of times I'll just go, I'll hug my pillow. I'll go, thank you, God, for this moment, for this bed, for these covers, for this pillow, and the fact that I am safe. And right now I'm going to go to sleep thinking of how grateful I am for my wife or my, and if you fought with your wife, don't think your wife, like whatever I have be grateful for. And here's the beauty of that, Brad. The last thing I'll say, I talked about this in the Miracle Morning, the first book. Our first thought in the morning is almost always the same as the last thought we had before bed. And the same goes with the first emotional state we feel in the morning is the one that we dwelled on before bed. So in this chapter, the Miracle Evening, the subtitle is your strategy for blissful bedtime and better sleep. Bliss is the state that I dwell in as I fall asleep. And that's achieved through love, safety, and gratitude. And the beauty of that is not only do I drift off to sleep with like a little, little slight smile on my face, when I wake up in the morning, I wake up in a state of bliss, 
nine times out of 10, 9.5 times out of 10, because that's what I fell asleep in. And that's how I wake up. I found that to be so true on both sides of how you, how you tend to go to sleep is how you tend to wake up. Yeah. Because if you're processing a, a business problem that's just eating you alive, like I've literally had dreams. It's like your brain's just a computer working totally. the night, right? And on the flip side, people have asked me like, dude, you're a pretty positive person. How do you do that? I'm like, at the end of the day, if my family's healthy mm. and we're in a home that like it was crazy cold here in Kansas just a few weeks back. And I'm like, man, we've got a roof over our heads, a warm home, yep. family's healthy. Life is good. The rest is bonus, right? And so oftentimes it's just looking at what you need to be grateful for versus what is missing, right? Yep. The comparison is the thief of joy is one of my my favorite quotes that, that I found totally. to be very true. Well, I know we're right at the end here. We hit S and L out of slumbers. Do we want to rapid fire the rest? I know we don't have time to get in into all of them. And those listening in, we'll get you a book uh, so yeah. you can read about the rest. But do you want to rapid fire those real quick? As we yeah. Got? So stop eating three to four hours before bedtime. Let go of stressful thoughts and emotions. The U is for use sleep supplements as needed. Because that was a part, that still is a part of my solution. I was like, I can't leave that out. Like, because I was like, oh, should I share the supplements that I use? I'm like, I'm going to put them in there and just say, I'm I'm no doctor. Like, take these, don't take these. I don't yeah. know. Right. But use supplements as needed. What do we have? M is map out the next day. And that way you don't have to think about it and go, oh, wait, I should do that tomorrow. Oh, wait, I should do that tomorrow. Right. The day's mapped out before you go to bed. And for me, I use a digital calendar. So, I actually don't have to do that before I go to bed. Yeah. It's almost always already done. The B is for boycott B. blue light, right? And that's just not looking at your phone or the TV or any blue light at least 30 minutes before bed. And then the E is for empower yourself with bedtime affirmations. Then I give you the affirmation that I read before bed to get myself into that state and let go of those stressful thoughts and replace them with the peaceful thoughts. And then the R is read something that makes you feel good. And the caveat to that is I only read books that I've already read before and they're already underlined and highlighted so that I don't have to invest any mental energy in remembering anything that I read. Because if you're reading at bed and you have a pen, you're like, oh crap, I need to really remember that. Or, you know, so for me, it's like, no, these are the books. These are my pre-approved books in my bedside table that make me feel happy. Some examples are Loving What Is by Byron Katie. The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. Awareness by Anthony DeMello, right? So these are some books that I've already read them and they make me, they remind me that life is wonderful as it is. Even when life's difficult, it still is a miracle, so on and so forth. And then the final, we already got one more S. The final S, I can't remember it. I literally can't remember it. (laughs) Hey, well, sounds like they need to get the book. There you go. And that was not so. intentional. I genuinely am blanking on. In fact, now I'm like, it's bothering me. I'm like, what the hell is the final is? Oh, sleep like a baby. Sleep like a baby. I opened right to that page. But I talk about that in a metaphorical sense where a ba- it kind of brings back in the beginning of letting go of stressful thoughts. Babies don't go to bed worried about anything. They are in a pure state of consciousness of just being in the moment, right? Just sleeping. And so I talk about that from like a spiritual perspective and a literal perspective. Love it. Okay. Well, last question, because I know you've got another conversation coming right up. So I want to respect that. This is the Do Business, Do Life podcast. I know like just from our time where we've shared together, whether a dad's retreat or doing the family brand stuff, you don't just look at this from a business perspective. I think that's easy to understand after listening to the last close to an hour. But I would love to hear Hal Elrod's definition of what this do business, do life mean to you. Yeah. When I created the Miracle Morning, it was a very selfish pursuit. It was, I'm struggling financially. I need to become the person that I need to be to create the life that I want financially and turn it around. And it worked for me. I didn't have kids back then. Now I've got two kids and a wife. And now the way that I look at this is the Miracle Morning, it enables me to thrive in business. But more importantly, I'm doing it for the people that I love and the people that I lead, but the people that I love. So the Miracle Morning enables me to be the husband that my wife deserves and the father that my kids deserve. And it enables me to optimize my mental and emotional well-being every morning so that even if I have a difficult day, I book in my days with two rituals, the miracle morning and the miracle evening. So even if the middle of the day is stressful and sometimes you know you have business dealings or stressful things go on, I wake up in a state of bliss and I start the day in a peak physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual state. 
And then I go to bed in a state of bliss and at peace and grateful and joyful. So I book in both my days with this optimal way of being. And to me, there is nothing in my 24 years of personal development and going to conferences and this reading books, literally nothing that I've learned. Because if there was, I'd be sharing that, right? This is the two mm-hmm. most, well, the Miracle Morning is the most impactful thing I've ever learned. And for me, again, it, it really crosses over where it enables me to show up at my best in work, in life, in marriage, in parenting, in every area. Love it, my man. Well, as always, super grateful for our time together. It's always a fun conversation with lots of energy. And so thanks for just who you are, how you show up, all the people you've impacted and, and for sharing that with our audience. So till next time. Ditto, Brad. Appreciate it, brother. All right. See you, Hal. On to this week's featured review. It comes to us from iTunes user R-L-A-N-D-E-R-O-S-805, five stars. They say, I was a first-time listener. I didn't know what to expect, but had awesome introduction that let me know what episode was about. The energy in the podcast got me excited to keep learning about jujitsu and wondering what other episodes have to offer. Some advice would be to make sure you have time to listen to it all because you will be hooked. Enjoy. And no, I can't wait to read Henner Gracie's book. Well, thanks so much for listening in. I feel like this one came to us from someone that's obviously follows Henner Gracie Jiu-Jitsu and was really fortunate to have him come on the show. And it's crazy how many of the lessons that come out of martial arts actually apply so much to business and life. And speaking of energy, Henner's joke is his buddy Jocko that has a uh, energy drink company was actually going to name a flavor after him named Henergy. So if you are looking for a very fast-paced episode, that is definitely the episode with Henner. have been fortunate enough to have him come into the triad community. And he is not only just insanely talented at teaching jujitsu, breaking down some very complex concepts to beginner level, but also just a great human and a lot of fun to hang out with. So glad that episode hit home and uh, wouldn't surprise me if we have Henner come back for another round. All right, take care. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Do Business, Do Life podcast. As we wrap, for access to show notes, transcripts, and exclusive content from all of our show's guests, don't forget to visit bradleyjohnson.com forward slash podcast. And before you go, I've got a quick favor to ask. If you're liking the podcast, you can help support the show by leaving your rating and review on iTunes. Not only do we read every single comment, but this will help the show rank and get discovered by new listeners and other financial advisors out there that can benefit from the show. Trust me, it really does help. So thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode. These conversations are intended to provide financial advisors with ideas, strategies, concepts, and tools that could be incorporated into their advisory practice. Advisors are ultimately responsible for ensuring implementation of anything discussed is in accordance with any and all regulatory and compliance responsibilities and obligations. 